If you would, turn to the book of John. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while you're turning there, if you're writing things down, I want you to write down what's going to be this whole sermon in one sentence. Okay, if you're part of the family or you've been visiting a lot lately, you know that I like to try to give one sermon to sum up this whole, uh, one sentence to sum up this whole sermon in case I forget what I'm talking about or you nod off or whichever happens first. It's the takeaway, okay? And my sermon in a sentence tonight is a question. And I want you to write this question down. Everybody ready? It's a personal question. Do you know Christ and the power of his resurrection? It's my sermon in a sentence tonight. And it's a personal question. Do you know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection? There's a guy in the Bible that we read a lot of his letters in the New Testament. And some of us know his story, some of us don't. I'm going to share a snippet of his story. It starts with a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a, was a Jewish man of the tribe of Benjamin. He was uh, full blood. He boasts in these things throughout his letter. You can see them at different times. Full blood. He was a Pharisee. He was of a, a sect of leaders, religious leaders called Pharisees. They were... Uh, religious leaders of the day, they were very prominent. They had uh, wealth. They had fame, I suppose you could say, amongst the Jewish community. They were esteemed people. Um, young men would start off their life trying to train to see if they could actually become Pharisees. So they were very uh, looked up to in the community. And, and Saul was one of these. And Saul was also very zealous You can see it in his writings, and you can also see it in his actions. He was very zealous. And whenever Jesus comes to town and begins preaching and claiming to be the Son of God and God and the Messiah, the answer, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, you could see how a Jewish religious leader could get very upset. Not just Saul, all of them were riled up. Jesus was constantly having conflict with them. Saul, I believe, was probably the most upset than all of them. He was a zealous man, his personality and everything. And so he began to speak out against. I believe Paul was there. Most scholars believe that Saul was there. I just gave a little bit away. His name changes to Paul later. But Saul was there the day that Jesus was crucified. You know that he was, and he was glad to see it. After Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, people are claiming that Jesus rose from the dead and, and Saul is like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And he adamantly confronts and even combats the church to the point where he is, he is, um, he is putting Christians in, Christian, uh, in prison and he's, he's killing them. And in fact, there's a, a scene in the Bible that most of us are familiar with A guy named Stephen, we call him the first martyr, the first Christian that was killed for his faith. Most scholars believe that Paul was there. In fact, it says in Acts chapter 8 that Saul was in hearty agreement 
that Stephen be put to death. Later on in that same chapter, it says that Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, Christian homes, people that were following Christ, and dragging off men and women. He says that he would put them in prison. And we also know that he killed many Christians. He was zealous. He was a religious Jewish leader, opposed, adamantly opposed to Christ and all that he was, and certainly opposed to this nonsense about Jesus being raised from the dead. One day he's on the road to a city called Damascus. And all of a sudden this this light, this presence, this person shows up and Paul, uh, Saul falls down and says, who are you, my Lord? And it was Jesus. And Jesus said, I am Jesus. It's, It's Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. Of course, he was persecuting the church, but Jesus is saying, you're persecuting my followers, you might as well be per, uh, persecuting me. And he was taking it pretty personal. You could see that, right? And I could go into a lot more details, but let me just tell you this. From the day that he saw Jesus and had that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, on the way to put people, uh, Christians in prison, maybe even kill them, Jesus showed up, revealed himself to Saul, eventually changes his name to Paul. And from that time on, Paul gives his very life to preaching and proclaiming Jesus, and specifically his resurrection. The very thing that he was adamantly opposed to. How can you be opposed to it when Jesus shows up himself and reveals himself to you? You hear what I'm saying? From that time on, you read his letters, you read um, the epistles, the letters to the churches, Ephesians and Colossians and um, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and Corinthians and Romans. You read these letters and, you, and, and many of them, you see him talking about the resurrection because it was something that even among the believers at some point stopped believing that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And he said, you guys, if we don't have the resurrection... What do we even have? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, what are we all doing? We could go back to Judaism. In fact, we could leave it all behind. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, you can read it in his letters. I wish I could go verse to verse to verse to verse to verse to show you all the times that Jesus, uh, that Paul was affirming that Jesus was raised from the dead. It really, if if you really start thinking about it, it became his life message because Everything that Paul preached was living the life of Jesus Christ. To live the life that he lived. One of the statements he said, he took it so personally, he said, look, this is in Philippians chapter three. He says, I just want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's like if you were to boil his life sermon in one sentence, that would be it. You see it. Zealous, passionate about knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. In Romans, he says that the same power, this is part of his message, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us, lives in me, lives in us, lives in every follower of Christ. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. We just came out of a teaching series about the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit who indwells every person who has put their faith in Jesus 
gives us the same power. This is what Paul says, that raised Christ from the dead. It was the central message to his life that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This week I was thinking about something that Paul would have been acutely aware of, maybe even inspired by, and it's someone else's testimony. I want you to look at John chapter 20. We're going to look at that testimony. In John chapter 20, the the heading over this section in my Bible says the empty tomb. And what I want to do, in case you've never read this story, I just want to read the whole story and then we'll come back and pick up a few things, okay? John chapter 20, starting in verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Jesus has died. They've buried him. And three days later, Mary comes while it was still dark and saw that the stone had already been taken away. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where he's at. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. Peter and John were running. And the other disciple ran. John, the disciple, ran ahead faster than Peter. And it's probably because Peter was old. You know what I mean? He was old. But John was young, okay? So Peter came to the tomb first and stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. The linen that they wrapped Jesus with after he, they pulled him down from the cross. But he didn't go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus's head not lying on the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself so the other disciple whom had first come to the tomb then also entered John finally went in and he saw and he believed for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead so the disciples went away again to their own homes. So Peter and John, those two disciples ran to the tomb to check out what Mary Magdalene had said. And Mary came with them. I don't know if she was as fast as John or slow as Peter, but she was there. And this is how we know. Look what it says next. Verse 10, the disciples went away. They went back to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She thought he was the gardener. She wasn't really paying attention. She thought he was the gardener. And she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned and she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me for I've not yet ascended to the father, but go to the brethren, my brothers, your brothers, and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Verse 18, if you want to go ahead and underline it, we're definitely coming back to this one. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. It's a great story and I want to go all the way back to the beginning because I want to introduce you a little bit to Mary Magdalene. It's really important for the story. It's really important for uh, the message. Mary Magdalene was a woman. You guys know that, right? I mean, her name means, Mary means in uh, that language, rebellion. I'm sorry for any of you Marys out there, but your name in, uh, in that language meant rebellion. Okay, Mary was one of several other ladies who traveled with Jesus throughout his ministry pretty much the whole time. Now, you, you got to get this because this is important. She's one of several other ladies that traveled with Jesus. And these ladies, not all of them, but several of them were ladies that Jesus had healed of evil spirits and physical ailments. Several of them he had cast out demons out of them. If you look at Luke chapter 8, if you look at Mark chapter 16, it gives you some specifics to Mary Magdalene that are a little bit different in addition to describe her. She was one of the ladies that had spirits driven out of her, but it specifically says that she had seven demons driven out of her by Jesus. Okay, seven. So these, so she's in... She's in good company because lots of people had a hairy past. But it specifically says that she had seven demons driven out of her by Jesus. Doesn't mention a number to any of the other ones, but for her, it does. And seven at that. There are some biblical scholars that believe that it was the number seven because it was saying, no, she was really messed up. She was perfectly, completely messed up, possessed. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the Jesus movies where they display the scene where Jesus drove the demons out of her, but they literally have her act completely insane. And it's, it's even disturbing to see it in the movies, knowing that it's just fake, someone's just acting. But you could imagine what it would be like for real to see someone who had many, seven spirits driving her life. We don't know why she was demon-possessed. We don't know what she had seen or heard as a kid. We don't know her experiences. We didn't know what she had been dabbling into. We don't know. All we know is that she had seven demons and Jesus drove them out. It set her free. And from that day on, you look at Scripture and it says that, that she followed him. She was one of his followers along with these other ladies. But you can look, Luke 23 says that she was as close as she could get to the cross. As close as they would let her to the cross, she was there. You read about how she was at the grave when they put Jesus in. And when everybody else walked away, it says that she lingered there. You read it in Matthew 27, uh, Mark 15, Luke 23, that she stayed behind and wept and mourned. 
And I'm sure she did, but she was probably thinking, Jesus is gone. What do I have if I don't have Jesus? He changed my life, literally transformed me from the inside out. Maybe even recall the story where Jesus says, there's a guy who had some demons cast out of him. And he swept his house clean and he was doing good, but he lost focus and later more demons came and, and jumped on him. Maybe she was concerned that that would happen to her. Who knows what was going through? It's all conjecture, but who knows what was going through her mind? This is, this is Mary Magdalene, okay? And then so knowing those things, you read back through this and you go, oh. For example, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. While it was still dark. My wife and I were talking about, like, while it was still dark, you think she set her alarm clock? I just want to get there before dawn, before everybody, before the crowd gets there. I just want to beat the crowd, you know? No, chances are she was up all night, distraught, stressed, maybe anxious, concerned, mourning, grieving, but also very concerned what is going to happen moving forward. And so she gets there. Of course, we know she gets there and the tomb was open and you can tell she's frantic. You can tell she's probably been up all night and very anxious because she says, where have they taken the body? And she runs to the disciples and tell them, Jesus is not there. I don't know where they've taken him. And we know, we read Peter and John, they run to the tomb and she obviously runs back too. They check it out and it says that they walked away. Look at verse 11, but Mary, but Mary stayed behind standing outside of the tomb, weeping. She just couldn't leave him or leave the scene. She was so distraught, she wept. She stooped and looked into the tomb. She saw two angels there. And they said to her, why are you weeping? Listen to this. She said to them, because they have taken away that she could have said Jesus. They have taken away Jesus of Nazareth. They have taken away Messiah. They've taken away the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, all the things that we use when we're praying, the, the Lord of all the earth. She could have said anything, but what did she say? I'm weeping and crying. I'm distraught because they have taken away my Lord. What it tells us is that Mary knew Christ, like, like knew him like a relationship with him. It wasn't just a figure out there, uh, yeah, my, my Jesus, my Savior. My Lord. She had an intimate relationship with him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was him. And Jesus said, woman, I don't know. I just think Jesus is kind of playful. You know, maybe he had a gardener's outfit on. I don't know. Woman, what does that even look like in that century? Wouldn't you like to know? He had his little knee pads on. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've taken him away, just tell me where he is and I'll, I'll go get him. And then look at verse 16. You could even circle it, underline it, put a smiley face on it. She said, uh, Jesus said to her, 
Mary. Now think about it. Think about the story. This is a lady that had seven demons driven out of her by Jesus. And you know Jesus told those, with his voice, told those demons, you can go now. You need to leave her. You got to go. And somewhere in that transaction, you know he said, Mary. Once she was coherent, once she was back to who she was supposed to be, Mary. The same voice that she was hearing at the tomb was the same voice that she heard. You know, the day she was set free, the day her life turned completely around, the day that she was changed from the inside out, the day that she began a relationship, a journey of knowing Jesus, Mary. And you know, he was smiling, Mary, Mary. says that she whipped around and said, Rabboni, teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. I've yet to ascend to the Father. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the disciples, go to your brothers and tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've heard. Mary Magdalene, verse 18, came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now you got to hear what I'm saying. Listen to me very carefully. Of all the people that Jesus could have shown himself to, he could have shown himself to Peter. Maybe it was because Peter was too slow. He could have shown himself to John. He could have shown himself to his own mom. He could have shown himself to his own brother, who at the time was having a hard time believing any of it. Of all the people he could have shown himself to, a more personal or relative or anybody, he chose someone that he had driven demons out of. He chose Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the first witness to the resurrection. You got to see this because this is powerful. She's the first one to see Jesus. And she was the first one to get to go tell others that Jesus is alive. Mary Magdalene? The one that we clearly see was jacked up. I think this is why Paul was inspired you know, that he, you know that he researched this. You know that as he's trying to incriminate these Christians and disprove all this, you know he was asking all the questions. Who knows if he didn't even interview at some point Mary Magdalene. You know? And once he saw Jesus, whoa. Maybe he recalled Mary Magdalene's story. That this lady... It wasn't unlike Paul. Paul himself says, I was a chief sinner. I used to kill Christ followers. I can relate to that woman. You guys know that old saying, everybody has their demons. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, not literally. It's just a saying in case you think I have some weird theology. 
But isn't it true that we all have a past? Is there anyone in here that doesn't have a past? Sure, some people's past is a little more surly than others. (laughs) Some of us may be a little squeakier clean than others, but all of us have a day when we didn't know Jesus, a day when we didn't say, my Lord. I think when Paul says, I just want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I think he's referring back to what he saw and heard in Mary's life. If God can choose someone like Mary Magdalene to show himself to the very first time after his resurrection, surely along the way, he could show himself to someone like Tony Herring. Tony could be a witness to his resurrection. Tony could be a witness of his resurrection. Tony can communicate to people that Jesus is alive. Tony can live a life worthy of the calling, walk out the resurrection life. We sang songs about it tonight. Walking in the power of his resurrection. And again, Paul preached the resurrection like nobody's business. Jesus is alive. It was his, always his central point when he would... Um, when he would reason with people. Jesus is alive. He could even say, I saw him. You should hear Mary's story. You know, it just didn't make any sense why he would show himself to her. It makes you think of that story that Jesus told that time. Suppose this person had many sins and this person had fewer sins, but they were both forgiven. Which one was forgiven more? Uh, I suppose the one who had more sins. Which one loves more? I suppose the one who was forgiven more sins. This is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene knew what she had been given, forgiven of. I think Jesus was very intentional about choosing her because he wanted the world to know the testimony of the first person he revealed himself to was one of the worst people that had ever followed him. And you may be sitting here thinking, man, we sang these songs and, you know, Tommy gave that word about being healed, not keeping your stuff hidden. And listen, if you can read Mary Magdalene's story and understand Jesus's heart for choosing her to reveal himself to, that he chose her to be the first witness to his resurrection and the first witness of his resurrection, you have to know It's like that song we sang. No matter how far I go, you are with me. No matter how far I run, no matter where I've been, no matter what the demons of my past look like or even the demons of my present. Jesus likes people like me. And he rose from the grave so that he could bring back to life those of us who are dead. You know, it's interesting. We, this is Easter weekend. Tomorrow, um, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, millions of people will celebrate Easter. 
I'm not sure where Easter came from. Actually, I am, but we won't talk about that tonight. And they're gathering to celebrate Christ's resurrection. You know, it's interesting that the actual season that we're supposed to be celebrating his resurrection is actually a month from now around the Jewish holiday called Passover. Anybody ever heard of it? Melissa mentioned the Seder. I'm really excited because we're going to be doing a Seder. And one of the things you'll learn is that it was that Seder meal, that last supper where Jesus broke the bread and told his disciples to eat this. This is my body. It's when he held up that, that goblet of wine and said, this is my blood. And you'll learn that it was the, it was the third cup of that whole ceremony. It's called the cup of redemption. They'd been holding it up for 1,500 years, just thinking, I can't wait to the third cup, more wine. But Jesus said, no, this cup, the cup of redemption, y'all have been calling it that. I'm making sense of it. And that was the one that he held up when they took communion. We're about to take communion. You're going to take that piece of bread and you have two options. You can either take that and do it in the spirit of rote and religion. This is just what we do. It's Easter weekend. This is what we do. You have that juice. You can just do it out of rhetoric. Maybe, maybe out of obligation. Or you could ask yourself that question, that sermon in a sentence question tonight. Do I know Christ? power of his resurrection maybe you're someone here and you've never you've never made that decision to put your faith in Christ to believe that he rose from the dead that he truly is the son of God I would encourage you to do that don't wait any longer it's true nobody could argue with Mary Magdalene's account nobody could argue with Paul's account I mean they could argue but there were plenty of other people who also saw Jesus power of his resurrection are you proclaiming him my lord and are you walking in the resurrected life is your life changing is it shaping is it molding into the image of christ himself are you looking a little different this week this month this year than you did last week month year are you changing we talked about the fruits of the holy spirit last week if so then you are walking in the power of his resurrection Remember, we buried and raised to the newness of life. I want to know Christ, Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. As we take communion, your second option is to make it personal. To take that piece of bread. This is how we do it. We just take a piece of that matzah bread that represents his body that was broken, and we dip it into that juice. So there's a station over there, there's a station over here, one over here. At your own leisure, just go. I would recommend the sides go to those and the ones in the middle go to the back. You take that bread and you dip it in and you can go back to your seat or you can stand there with your family and pray and thank the Lord 
Like consider, consider it as intensely as Mary Magdalene herself. She couldn't sleep that night wondering, what would I do? What am I going to do without my Lord? And so you could take that and say, what would I do without my Lord? Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can't do anything. Recall those things. And if you've never heard any of this, you need to know this tonight, that no matter where you've been, no matter where you're at, Jesus can heal you. I want to affirm again what Tommy said. It's hard for him to heal what you keep hidden. And so you might need to confess to Jesus, this is where I'm at. This is where I've been. Before you take that, before you drink that, tell him. I'm saying you got to come up here and grab a mic. That's not what I'm saying. But just in your moment, tell him, this is where I've been. And remember, if Jesus could show himself first to Mary Magdalene, (laughs) Mary Magdalene, then he can show himself to you tonight and in the morning and tomorrow and the day after that and the rest of your life. You can know him and the power of his resurrection. And guess what? You can be familiar with your name coming from his voice, just like Mary. David, Tammy, Chris. He's speaking our name all the time. And I think he's smiling. Those of you who are here that think, yeah, he's saying my name all right. And he's got this snarl on him. And he's, he's pointing at me. And he's just about ready to boot me off this planet. It's not the Lord we serve. I say this all the time, his first inclinations, his first thoughts towards you are of mercy and love. So if you're here and you need to know him and begin walking in the power of his resurrection, as we take communion, I want to encourage you to have a personal encounter with the Lord. Stand with me. Becca's going to lead us in a song. Again, at your own leisure, we're going to take the time to take communion. There's three stations. It won't take very long. And then when you get back to your seat, we'll pray together and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you are, all that you do, the way that you carried yourself upon the earth. why you were able to be put to death in our place. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, you knew no sin, but you became sin so that we could be made right with God the Father. And we celebrate that tonight by taking communion. We thank you for the body that was broken thank you for the blood that was poured out you said to take these pieces to remember you to worship you and so out of obedience just like we did baptisms out of obeying you tonight we take communion to obey you and to remember you and to use this as a way to celebrate and worship I pray for everybody that takes the bread and the juice that they would know you and the power of your resurrection
resurrection.